0: Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and we're on this series called Christian Foundations, and it's designed to help establish your Christian life on a firm foundation. You know, if you don't build the house of your character and your life on a sure foundation, you know, it will ultimately just fall down and come to nothing. And so in building a house, the first thing is to have it on the right foundation. And the foundation for the Christian, for us as Christians, is Christ Himself. As 1 Corinthians 3 says, No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You know, the foundation is not doctrine about Christ, teaching about Christ, but it's the person of Christ Himself is our foundation. We must build our life upon Him, upon our personal relationship with Him. He's our firm foundation. And uh, Knowing about Him is essential, because otherwise we can't come to Him and we can't put our trust in Him personally and and for our salvation and eternal life. Um, But you know, we have to believe the gospel that He is the unique God man, the Son of God, who loves us and gave His life for us and rose again uh, and offers Himself to us as His as salvation and life. But just knowing about Christ is not the foundation, uh, He is the foundation. And until we come to Him and receive Him as our Lord and Saviour, put our trust in Him for our salvation, you know, then He is not our foundation, He's not holding us up. Uh, and we're no better off, despite all the knowledge we might have in our head. But when we do receive Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and trust Him, He then becomes our foundation for our salvation and for our eternal life. That foundation of Christ is laid in us, and we now rest ourselves in him for our salvation. You know, the fact that God would send Christ to be our sure foundation, our eternal foundation, that was prophesied in Isaiah 28. Let's read that. Verse 16, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion... A stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes or trusts in him will not act hastily. In other words, they'll be, at st- be stable and be at peace. When we receive Jesus as Lord, he became our firm foundation for salvation and eternal life. And this relationship that we have with him is defined and described by, f- by the word faith which is the posture of our heart, whereby we trust and depend on him and submit to him as our foundation, as our basis for our being and our life. And once we've trusted in Christ as far as our forgiveness and salvation is concerned, then we must also live and build our whole lives on that same foundation, the person of Christ himself. So we must trust him, not just for our eternal salvation, but for our life today. And that's what Colossians 2, 6 says. As you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him day by day, rooted and built up in him. In other words, you're rooted in him, you're founded on him. He's your foundation and you build yourself up in him and you, you live that, out of that foundation. So we're to trust in Christ as our source of life, love, wisdom, peace, you name it, and submit to his lordship the faith in our heart is what unites and connects us to the foundation. And, and it's the channel through which his life, his grace, can flow into our hearts and lives. So the more we submit our hearts to him in faith and trust and rest ourselves upon him as our foundation, the more he will uphold us with his grace and power. Praise God. So once we've received salvation by faith, we must now live by faith. Christ, again, is not just the foundation for our salvation, but for our everyday living. And that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17. He says, the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation, and that isn't just eternal salvation, but wholeness in this life, for everyone who believes. So Christ, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Notice those two levels of faith. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Or we could say the just by faith shall also live by faith. Notice there are two aspects to faith. It's from faith to faith. And there are two ways that God's righteousness is revealed to us and manifested in our lives. First, we are justified, made righteous, by faith. And that happened when we repented of trusting ourselves for salvation and our own works. And we trusted in Christ. And we trusted in his perfect righteousness. And that perfect righteousness of Christ was imputed to us. It was put to our account. This is a legal term. Which means that when we trusted in Christ, his righteousness, his perfect righteousness, was put to our account. He, you see, he lived a perfect life uh, and fulfilled all righteousness. And in the first few hours of the cross, before it went dark, he offered up his life, his righteousness to God as a sweet-smelling offering to God. He released his righteousness to God so that it could be given to us. Praise God. And then it became dark at noon, and that's when he became the sin offering. And that's when he took all our sin on himself. And the blotting out of the sun was a picture of the blotting out of the Son of God as he took our darkness, our sin, upon himself and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he did two things. He accomplished the great exchange. He took our sin, but he also offered his righteousness to us as a free gift. And that is the great exchange. When we receive Jesus as our Lord, not only are our sins remitted and removed from us through the sin offering, but in exchange, his perfect righteousness is put to our account. So we no longer stand before God on the basis of our own good works but his perfect righteousness, praise God, which now means that God accepts you perfectly just as he accepts Jesus, because you're not standing on your own righteousness, you're standing on on the righteousness of Jesus. You're not accepted by God on the basis of your own merit, but the merit of Jesus. And that's why there is now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're clothed in his righteousness. And on that legal basis, God instantly gave you the new birth. His Spirit came into your spirit and made you brand new. And you now have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And the resurrection of life of Jesus was applied to your spirit and you were born again. And even the the Holy Spirit himself came into your spirit. And that's on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. And so Christ and his righteousness is yours forever and that is the foundation for your eternal salvation and your life today. And it ensures your eternity under the favour of God. Hallelujah! So now we are justified by faith, Romans 1.16 also says we are to live by faith. In other words, live by faith in the same foundation which is the person of Christ. Which means looking to Him as your source of life and grace and peace. Leaning on Him as your basis of operation, rather than trusting in your own soul. Leaning on your own understanding and emotions. And as we do this, we receive His imparted righteousness. His life flows into us. His righteous life flows into us. He writes His laws on our hearts, and, and we fulfill the will of God in our life by His power. And so there is this imparted righteousness and grace. As we submit to him, he pours out his love and wisdom into our hearts and he works in us his will and causes us to do his good pleasure. Uh, Praise God. And the more we submit to him and the more we trust in him as our foundation, the more he fills and empowers us with his grace. In this way, he is our faith foundation, not just for salvation, but for our everyday life. And so living by faith starts with this submission to Him where we open our hearts to receive the gift of His Spirit and His Word to us, and then by depending on the Spirit of grace, we must then put His Word into practice in our life. We have to walk in Christ and in His truth. Only then, by hearing and doing His words, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Are we going to build our life on his firm foundation? Jesus told us this. This is how you build your life on the firm foundation in Matthew 7. He said, whoever hears these sayings of mine, the word of God, and does them, you have to hear them and do them, but you can only do them by trusting the power of the Holy Spirit. He who hears them and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house, his life, on the rock, on the foundation of Christ. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. When you build your life on Christ, it will be strong and firm, and it can endure under the attacks. And so, everyone knows, to build a house on the foundation, you've got to build from the ground up. And in the same way, to properly build your house on the foundation of Christ... You have to, there are certain foundational doctrines that must be established in your heart and life first. You don't start with the roof. And so there are, you build with the Word of God. The Word is like the bricks of the house that you put into place in your life. By hearing and obeying the word, those bricks are built. But there are certain, uh, you have to build the first floor first and that's called the foundational doctrines of Christ. You have to receive them, understand them and then put them into practice. You've got to do that before you're ready to take on the higher revelations uh, of the word of God. So you've move from babyhood to maturity Uh, through these foundational doctrines. And that's what we're focusing on, these foundational doctrines in this series. They're also called the milk of the word, because a baby has to drink the milk, take in the milk and absorb the milk before it's ready to take in the, the strong meat. And so the milk is the elementary principles of Christ. And Hebrews 6 tells us what they are. He says, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation, the foundational teachings. And then he talks about seven of these. He says, of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, doctrine, baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And that's what we're covering in this series. Now, we can understand why the first two are, have to come first of particular importance, repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Why? Because they describe the necessary attitude of our hearts, which is essential for us to live our lives from the foundation of Christ. Because anything we do that's not on the foundation is just going to be destroyed. And so these two, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, teach us how to live out from the supply of the grace of Christ and trusting in him as our base of operation. So we must put our faith in Christ and his grace, which flows out from our spirit by the Holy Spirit, so that we trust in him as our foundation. We live out from his life rather than living out from our own strength. That's what faith is about. And this is called a new way of living in the newness of life and living that way we will produce good works. And this requires us also to repent, repent and turn from the old way of living where we lived out from our own soul as the base of operation and that only produces dead works. No value to God. Repentance from dead works. Jesus said we must lose our soul life in order to find his higher spirit life. Paul said we should serve or live in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter." You see, this newness of living is living under grace, by faith in the power and the life of Christ that is in me. The old way is also called living under the law, in the oldness of the letter, and that results in dead works. In this way of life, We have laws, they might be good laws, they might be God's laws, and we have principles and we have those in our soul. So far, so good. But then we try and live live them out and obey them, not by the power of the Spirit, but in our own strength, from our own soul. And Christians even do this with God's Word, but it doesn't have the freshness and newness of life because life comes from the Spirit. It's like an imitation of the Christian life rather than living in the reality of the life of God that comes from our spirit. It's old and it's second-hand way of living rather than experiencing Christ living in us. And so we must repent, this is foundational, we must repent from the old way of living, of trusting ourselves, living out from ourselves, producing dead works and instead embrace a new way of living which is far more exciting, of trusting in Christ as our life and producing the fruit of the Spirit. And this is the key of overcoming sin in our life, which I really want to major on today. Let us first of all understand the nature of sin uh, and the three levels. There are three levels of sin, and we need to realize that Christ is the only one who can save us from sin, from the penalty, from the power, and even the presence of sin eventually. Sin is the opposite of righteousness and holiness. You know, living in righteousness brings life and blessing. Sin brings curse and death. God designed us to be holy, set apart to God, so that we might be filled with his spirit of righteousness and out of that live a life of righteousness by trusting him as our source of love and righteousness and thereby producing good fruit. The essence of sin is the rejection of this way of living of by faith, uh, depending on God, and instead going our own way, independent from God, living out from ourselves as the center. Our own soul life, rather than God's life, becomes our base of operation. As Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all the problem of sin is actually on three levels. And also righteousness exists on three levels. So I just want to explain that, then you know what we're dealing with. Many think sin is just an issue of our personal sins that we commit, but it goes much deeper than that. So level one is our state, the state of sin, which actually is all to do with the original sin of Adam in, in the garden. Adam was the representative head of the human race. And the Bible says that when Adam sinned, we were in Adam when he sinned. And so we sinned in Adam. So even before we were born, we were, as it were, in a state of sin through our union with Adam. And as a result, spiritual and physical death came upon all men even before they, they committed any personal sin themselves. And uh, if it wasn't for Christ, what he did, all mankind would be doomed to eternal death because of, their, because of being in Adam. And this is called imputed sin. That, in other words, sin, Adam's sin is put to our account. And, and um, you might think that's not fair, but uh, it works for our good when we think about Christ who reversed that. But for instance, say the prime minister of the UK waged wa- a declared war on Russia. And now it's not just him that's at war. We're in, in war because we are in the UK. We are under his leadership. And so we are then, even though we didn't declare personally war, war on Russia, we are at war. And in the same way, Adam declared war on God. And we were in Adam. And Romans describes it like this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned in Adam. Therefore, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who hadn't sinned according to the likeness of Adam's transgression, who is a type of him to come. So that's the first level. of The second level of sin is the sin nature, or imputed, uh, imparted sin. So that was imputed sin, but now also sin was imparted to the human, uh, to, to, to men. Because when Adam sinned, He chose to be his own God, to claiming his right to manage his own life, to live out from himself, to live from his own soul, independent from God, to have the knowledge of good and evil in himself, so he can be in control. Because he made that choice, two things happened. First of all, his spirit died, his spirit that was alive to God, which was God's basis of operation in him. God ruled him through his spirit but now his spirit was disconnected from God by his own choice and then disconnected from the blessing of God. So now man's spirit has fallen, the core of his being. That's called the old man. It's disconnected from the newness of life. But worse than that, not only that is that a sin nature corresponding to his choice came into his flesh. It's called sin. In the Bible, whenever you see sin in the singular, it refers to the sin nature that's in our flesh. And this is imparted sin. There's a sin nature in our flesh. And this, became, this replaced the, his spirit as the controlling power over his soul, over his mind, will, and emotions. And, and so this um, sin nature actually causes the soul to operate independently from God. And uh, and now he lives soulishly. He lives out from his own soul. And that's the effect of the sin nature. It's also called the independent soul life. And this is what we inherited from Adam. And this sin nature is called sin. It's called sin in the flesh. It's called the body of sin. or the, And it's called the body of death in the Bible because it's the cause of our physical death. Um, and then... It, we inherited it through physical birth because the Bible says what's born of flesh is flesh. And so Adam had it, sin nature in his flesh and then it becomes transmitted through the Father. So everyone born of a woman uh, is actually uh, has a sin nature in their flesh. And so we're all sinners by nature. As the psalmist says, he, that he was conceived in sin. Um, And so, that's why you don't have to teach babies and children to sin, because it's it's what is natural to them to be selfish. Only Christ, because he was born of a virgin, did not have a sin nature in his flesh. He was a free man. He was not in bondage to sin. But the rest of the human race are slaves to sin, under the power of sin, and we cannot set ourselves free. This presence of the sin nature means we are sinners by nature. And so the sins that we commit, and that's the third level of sin, we're in the state of sin, we have a sin nature, um, and now that causes us to commit sin. Sins are the fruit of sin, the sin nature. And so we commit sins when we yield to the sin nature and obey it. And every sin we commit just increases our guilt before God. Our personal sins are the fruit of our sin nature. Jesus said that in John 8 he said most assuredly I say to you whoever commits sin is a slave of sin and this describes the natural state of the whole human race apart from Christ we all sinned when we became, when we were because we're we all sin because we're slaves of sin so sins are just the surface of the sin problem which is actually much deeper it's a symptom of something much deeper going on but the good news is this, that through the cross, Christ has provided an answer for all three levels of sin. Uh, and in each way, he replaces our sin with his righteousness, praise God. And this is prophesied in Daniel 9, 24. And it actually predicts the very time, that even the day when Jesus would die and rise again. It says, seventy sevens or 490 years, are determined for your people Three, three things will be accomplished. To finish the transgression. Now that is talking about a particular sin, which can only be Adam's original sin. So remember, that was the first level of sin. Jesus is going to deal with that on the cross. Praise God. Then secondly, it says to make an end of sins. And that refers to our personal sins. He will also pay the price for the forgiveness of our personal sins. And number three, it says he will make reconciliation or atonement for iniquity. Now, iniquity is the word for the sin nature. It describes something that is twisted. And that's the sin nature. And so Jesus is going to deal with our personal sins, the state of sin in Adam, and also He's going to deal with the sin nature on the cross. Praise God! That was prophesied, and so Jesus dealt with our state of sin. And we'll just uh, we'll continue this next time. But let's talk about the state of sin, the imputed sin, by becoming the second Adam. We were in the first Adam, and that put us into a state of sin and judgment. But praise God! Jesus came as the second Adam and he offered himself to be a alternative representative before god and instead of the first adam so you've every man has got a choice now are you going to have the adam or the second adam as your representative uh, when you receive christ as your lord you're really receiving him as your head and that when you do that that gave god the legal right to take you out of adam and put you into Christ, praise God. And when you were put into Christ, praise God, your inheritance from Adam was canceled out, and his perfect righteousness was imputed to you. And so instead of having the imputed sin of Adam, in Christ you have the imputed righteousness of Christ. Even before you do any good works, Praise God, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ. It's a legal thing. He put that into your account, and that is now put put you into right standing with God, accepted by God. So just as in Adam we are all in a state of sin, even before we committed any sin, even so in Christ we are in a state of righteousness even before we committed any righteous act. Praise God. That's the grace of God. And on the basis of this imputed righteousness, God declares us forgiven and righteous. And this is justification by God's grace. And so that is the first solution to our sin problem. That God takes us out of Adam and he puts us into Christ and he gives us his righteousness. And now we have that legal right standing with God. That's just the beginning. Next time, we're going to see how God fixed also the other two issues of our sin. If you're interested in a DVD of any of our programs, uh, that is available to you just by phoning the church office and, and ordering it from us. And if you need a list of the programs, we can also make that available to you. There's a book that fits perfectly with this series on Christian foundations called Growing Up Spiritually. And this is so important that we know the foundational teachings whereby we can grow spiritually. And uh, let me recommend this book, It's, uh, it's, it's not very expensive. Growing up spiritually gives you many of the key teachings in this series and, and others too. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, ox x 37 qh